Let's turn tonight in our Bibles to uh, Isaiah chapter 3. Isaiah chapter 3, and we're going to read together the first 11 verses. Isaiah chapter 3. We'll read from verse 1. hear the word of the Lord. For behold, the Lord, the Lord of hosts, doth take away from Jerusalem and from Judah the stay and the staff, the whole stay of bread and the whole stay of water, the mighty man, the man of war, the judge and the prophet and the prudent and the ancient, the captain of fifty and the honourable man and the counsellor, and the cunning artificer, and the eloquent orator. And I will give children to be their princes, and babes shall rule over them. And the people shall be oppressed, every one by another, and every man by his neighbour. The child shall behave himself proudly against the ancient, and the base against the honourable. When a man shall take hold of his brother of the house of his father, saying, Thou hast clothing, be thou our ruler, and let this ruin be under thy hand. In that day shall he swear, saying, I will not be an healer, for in my house is neither bread nor clothing. Make me not a ruler of the people, for Jerusalem is ruined, and Judah is fallen. Because their tongue and their doings are against the Lord to provoke the eyes of his glory. The show of their countenance doth witness against them. They declare their sin as Sodom. They hide it not. Woe unto their soul, for they have rewarded evil unto themselves. Say ye to the righteous that it shall be well with him, for they shall eat the fruit of their doings. One to the wicked, it shall be ill with him, for the reward of his hands shall be given him. We'll end the reading there at verse 11, and we pray God will stamp his own approval and blessing this reading of the Holy Scriptures. Now my text tonight is taken from Isaiah chapter 3, verses 10 and 11. Say ye to the righteous, that it shall be well with him, for they shall eat the fruit of their doings. One to the wicked, it shall be ill with him, for the reward of his hands shall be given him. And my message tonight is entitled, A Message of Well-Being or A Message of Woe. If you look closely at Isaiah chapter 3, verses 10 and 11, you'll see that there is a word of comfort for all of God's dear people. And if you look very closely at verse 11, there's also a word of cursing, a word from God to every wicked 
rebel, hell-deserving sinner. Tonight I want to ask the simple question. Are you righteous in the sight of God? If you are, then it shall be well with you, and you shall eat the fruit of your doings. However, if you're designated among the wicked, then I've got a message from God for you. The message is this, woe unto the wicked. The word woe means judgment. And you in your own body and in your soul, time and eternity will receive the reward of your own hands. Now I want you to notice as you look at these two texts of scripture, three things. First of all, think of the division that is presented. Underline the word righteous and the word wicked. Because there's two classes of people mentioned in our text. Say ye to the righteous. That's the saints. That's everyone that's saved by the grace of God. And then you've got verse 11, woe unto the wicked. That's a reference to every hell-deserving sinner, every Unbeliever. Now let me emphasize tonight, very simply but solemnly, there are only two classes of people in this world in the sight of Almighty God. There's the righteous or the wicked. There are the saints and there are sinners. And all of us fit into one of those two classes. There's no middle ground before God. You're either designated righteous or designated wicked. And I want to tell you, it has always been this way. It has always been this way from eternity. And this is, of course, one of the great planks of the Free Presbyterian Church from its inception. The job of the minister of the Free Presbyterian Church is to preach the word of God, to uh, engage in an expository ministry, to build up saints, to edify, to educate, and to exhort the people of God in the word of God, in the ways of God, and to live according to the will of God. It's also the job of every free Presbyterian minister to tell men and women that the Bible has a message for sinner. And I believe, of course, it's the job of every uh, true minister of the gospel to evangelize the sinners, to call them to repent and to receive Christ as he's freely offered in the gospel. Now the Bible only knows of two classes of people. It doesn't speak about the upper class and the lower class. It doesn't really speak too much about the rich and the poor. It doesn't really speak too much about the educated and the uneducated or even the prince or the pauper. The main division that's presented in the Holy Scriptures from the very dawn of history is a division between the righteous and the wicked. Let me illustrate. Genesis 3 verse 15. You've got mentioned there the seed of the woman. That's Christ. And all who belong to him, all who are in union with him, and the seed of the wicked, that, that is the devil, and all who belong to him. Come to Genesis 4, and you've got the first family, and you've got a, a righteous man called Abel, who offered a blood sacrifice to God, and was acceptable to God. 
You've also a wicked man in that first family by the name of Cain who offered a bloodless sacrifice to God, who brought the fruit of his hands to God and God refused to accept that sacrifice. And of course, Cain became a murderer and slew his brother out of envy and jealousy because God accepted Abel's offering and did not accept his. In the flood, think again, God destroyed all the wicked in his wrath who were outside of the ark. But God saved Noah and his family, eight righteous souls. They were preserved in the ark, which is a type of Christ. Think of Abraham, he had two sons. He had a child of the flesh, a, a wicked individual called Ishmael. He also had a child of promise called Isaac. Isaac, of course, himself had two sons, Jacob and Esau. And uh, one whom the Lord hated and one whom the, the Lord loved. The Bible tells us that the Lord loved Jacob and saved him during his lifetime and changed and transformed him. And wicked Esau, whom the Lord hated in the days of Moses, over there in Exodus chapter, verse, uh, chapter 8 and verse 23, we um, read the words. And I will put a division between my people and thy people Tomorrow, this shall be a sign. Now, now that, that's a tremendous statement that God is making. And right throughout human history, down the ages of time, as time rolls out, God has always separated between the clean and the unclean. God has always had a division between the righteous and the wicked. Now, now it's not God's intention that these two classes should ever be mixed. The line of division cannot be erased or, or blurred. God allows for no unholy alliance. And this is a real spiritual distinction. A, a, a division so real and vivid, so definite, as I've said, there's no middle ground, there's no borderland, there's no sitting on the fence, there's no such special area as a middle ground. You're either on one side or the other. There's no in-between. There's no neutrality. Now, now, what is true of the righteous is not true of the wicked. And what is true of the wicked is not true of the righteous. Now, now I, I want to ask you tonight, using this very striking language, in which class are you? Because it applies to us this evening. It could even apply to someone who is near and dear to you. Think of a husband and wife relationship. Think of a son and daughter relationship to parents. Think of your best mate. Think of your closest friend. And you could be in the bonds of a physical fellowship and yet be divided spiritually. And, and, and even between husband and wife and uh, um, sons and daughters. Uh, there's no spiritual connection in a sense. Because one's designated righteous and one in the sight of God is wicked and still in their sins. Now let me ask, does verse 10 belong to you? Say ye to the righteous that it shall be well with him for they shall eat the fruit of their doings? Or does verse 11 describe you? Woe unto the wicked. It shall be ill with him for the reward of his hands shall be given him. Not only the division that is uh, proclaimed or portrayed, 
But also think of the description that's proclaimed. Notice here, there is the fact of the righteous. Say ye to the righteous. Now, that refers to God's people. God's people are designated righteous. So, so think of the fact of the righteous. What does that mean? When God designates his people righteous, what does he mean? Well, let, let me try and explain. There's the imputation of God's righteousness. See, the word righteous refers to a legal standing before God. The individual has been weighed in the balances of God's eternal justice and he's been proclaimed legally righteous in God's sight. In other words, he's been pronounced by the court of heaven as guiltless before the heavenly judge, before the holy God of heaven. We could ask the question, well, how can a holy God legally pronounce a sinner guiltless and righteous in his sight? How could God look at the evidence of the sinner's guilt and deserving of punishment and designate him as righteous? And here's the answer. The Lord Jesus Christ, by his act of obedience to the law, lived a holy, sinless life. In other words, he kept the law of God perfectly. He said, I do always those things that please the Father. And uh, that perfect life of Christ, that sinless life of Christ, a very important aspect of the uh, life of Christ on earth, he wove a robe of spotless purity. And not only the act of obedience of Christ to the law, but I want you to think of his passive obedience to the law. Because Christ not only kept the law of God perfectly, but he paid the full penalty that the broken law demanded, which was death. That's why we read in the Bible, Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. The Lord Jesus Christ offered a perfect atonement for our sins. But this man, after he'd offered one sacrifice for sins forever, sat down in the right hand of God. He put away sin, in other words, by the sacrifice of himself and by the shedding of his precious blood. He satisfied all the demands of God's holy law. He satisfied divine justice and thereby he earned a perfect righteousness which he imparts, he, he, he bestows on all who trust him as Lord and Saviour. I was thinking of the shorter catechism, what is justification? Justification, remember, is an act of God's free grace whereby he pardoneth all our sins and accepted us as righteous in his sight only for the righteousness of Christ imputed to us and received by faith alone. There's a lovely reference in the book of Isaiah. I think it's Isaiah 61 and verse 10. You could turn to it. You could mark it in your Bible. Isaiah 61 and verse 10. And this is what it says. And I'm breaking into the verse. For he hath clothed me with the garments of salvation... He hath covered me with the robe of righteousness as a bridegroom decketh himself with ornaments and as a bride adorneth herself with her jewels. Isn't that a lovely text? He clothes me with the garments of salvation. He, he covers me with the, the robe of righteousness. You see, God's people are legally declared righteous, described as righteous, 
only because the righteousness of Jesus Christ is imputed to them and received by faith alone. There's a lovely hymn in our hymn book, and we didn't sing it tonight. Um, we, we could have sang it. Uh, 351. And um, we, 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 we read there uh, the, 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 these words. My sin, oh the bliss of this glorious thought. My sin, not in part but the whole, is nailed to the cross. And I bear it no more. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord, oh my soul. I also thinking of John Wesley's hymn, Jesus, thy blood and righteousness, my beauty are, my glorious dress, maids flaming worlds in these arrayed. With boldness shall I lift up my head. The fact that we're righteous is tied into the imputation of God's righteousness. Now, let me tell you something else. Also think about the impartation of God's righteousness. You see, when God imputes the righteousness of Christ to a man, he does something else that's equally important. He also imparts a personal righteousness or a, or a personal holiness to that man or that woman. In other words, you can't be justified without being sanctified. The two go together. Well, you've got one, you've got the other. So a justified man, who's declared righteous in the sight of God because of the imputation of Christ's righteousness, also becomes a sanctified man. There's no salvation apart from a personal holiness. I know there are two distinct doctrines in the outworking of theology, but they're closely related in the personal experience of the child of God. And if the child of God has experienced a, a change in his legal standing before God, God designates him as righteous, then there will also be a moral and, and a personal change because of the imputation and the implantation of Christ's righteousness. Of course, the Bible tells us if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. All things have passed away and all things have become new and all things are of God. Not only the, the fact of the uh, righteousness, but I, I want you to think of the focus of the righteous. It says in our text, if you look at it very clearly, Say ye to the righteous that it shall be well with him. Now, isn't that tremendous? It's not sometimes well, are not well up to a point, or, or usually well, or occasionally well. There's no limitation here. There's no adverbs. It says that it shall be well with him. In other words, it'll only be well. It'll always be well. It is always well with God's people. Therefore, we can surely rejoice in that. Well, from the beginning of the year to the end of the year. Well, from the rising of the sun to the going down of the sea. How is it well with God's people? Well, their guilt is gone. Their, their sin is under the blood. They, they, they live under the protection of the eternal God. The eternal God is thy refuge and underneath of the everlasting arms. These individuals have been declared righteous in the sight of God, not because of their good works, but because of the imputation and implantation of Christ's righteousness. These individuals are in full union with Jesus Christ. They have a full and free and forever salvation. They're, they're fully accepted in the beloved. 
Nothing can separate them from the love of God in Christ. These individuals are kept by the power of God through faith unto salvation. These individuals are cared for, casting all your care upon him, for he careth for you. And the Lord in their behalf subdues their enemies. He deals with their iniquities. He, he, he meets our need. You know, these are not just wishful thoughts. These are not just mere poetic words. These are objective truths to think about. And even when our circumstances appear to be contrary to this thought, these statements are still true. And even in the darkness and the difficulty of our situation, whatever it is, let us trust in our God. Because we not only have a, a present, but we have a, a glorious future. If you're saved tonight as a child, then you're well in your childhood. If you're saved as a young person tonight in your teens, it's well with you. And even if you're well advanced in years and you, you sort of think, but there's but a, a, a step between me and death and, and soon I'll be heading to the grave. Let's remember what the psalmist said. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Why? For thou art with me. The comfort of God's presence. Well, even in the face of death. Isn't that a comforting, encouraging word? There's a story told of a wee girl that asked a, a free Presbyterian boy out. And in the course of conversation, she said to him, Do you smoke? No. Do you drink? Do you get drunk? No. Do you go to the picture house? No. Do you watch much TV? No. Well, do you go to the dance? No. Well, you go to the theatre then? No. Well, well, do you gamble? No. What do you do? I go to church. I go to the prayer meeting. I read my Bible. That young girl thought, that was such a miserable existence. You see, that's what the world thinks. The world looks at things all wrong. Because a, a Christian doesn't uh, smoke and drink and go to the picture house and, and go to the dance and the theatre and, and gamble. It's well with him. And I'll tell you why it's well with him. Because no one that ever got saved was ever truly sorry that they become a Christian. Well in this life. Well even in the face of death. Well for eternity. We have a God with us who promises, Lo, I'm with you always. A God who says, I'll never leave you nor forsake you. A God who says, I'll not fail you. A God who says, I'll not forget you. You see, I want you to understand tonight. It's God who's saying this. This is not David McLaughlin. This is God who's saying this. Say ye to the righteous, who's speaking? It's God. And on the authority of the living and the true God. We can say tonight that the greatest trouble that you ever had in your life is past. The greatest trouble you ever had was your own sin and guilt before God. It's gone forever. We've already quoted from that hymn, 351. A, a tremendous thought. Maybe it would do well just to quote it again, to, to remind you of it. My sin. Oh, the bless of this glorious thought. My sin, not in part, but the whole, is nailed to the cross and I bear it no more. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Oh, my soul. 
And glory to God, even your greatest trouble in the present, which is your own self and the uh, power of sin, is, is under the control of the Spirit of God. If you're born of the Spirit, then, then you live in the Spirit and you've died to sin's power and sin's dominion in your life. Doesn't the hymn writer say he breaks the power of cancel sin and sets the prisoner free? His blood can make the foulest clean. His blood avails for me. There's no such thing, let me tell you young people, as sinless perfection this side of eternity. Let me tell you the old man is never truly eradicated. Sin is always there. And, and sin is present. We sin against the Lord in thought and word and deed. Self will seek to dominate. Remember John the Baptist. He must increase. I must decrease. And if you think of the letter I, standing tall, and then it's bent over at the top and the bottom, and it becomes a C, crucified with Christ, living no longer under the power and control and dominion of sin, Living under the power of the Spirit. There's a story told of a holiness preacher. He was coming down the road and this bus driver, he was coming in the opposite direction and his job was to stop and let children off. And it was a narrow wee road and the preacher, of course, was in a hurry, oftentimes like me. And uh, he, he was trying to get past the bus, but there was no way he was getting past. And um, uh, because he was in a hurry, he, he lost his temper. And he started into the driver. And uh, the, the driver just looked at him. And this is what he said. I can see the, and he mentioned the reverend by name. I can see the roots still there, sir. And of course that preacher came under conviction and had to come back and confess his sin to the driver. And learned a very valuable lesson. That, that the, 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 the sin can manifest itself. And of course, remember, we have God's promise. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Our greatest enemy is death, defeated by Christ. The greatest fear, the fear of meeting God in the judgment, well, it's taken away. Why? Because he has designated us as righteous. The greatest hope that we have strengthens our soul. What's our greatest hope? Meeting Jesus Christ. Either in heaven through the portal of death or in the air when he comes and returns to set up his millennial kingdom. Job said, I know that my Redeemer liveth and his feet shall stand in the latter day upon the earth. We, look, we live in light of that. that that's, that's the focus of the righteous. That it shall be well with him. I want you to think of the fruit of the righteous. It says in the text, for they shall eat the fruit of their doings. In other words, there's perfect satisfaction. Doesn't the Bible talk about in thy presence is fullness of joy and at thy right hand there what? Pleasures forevermore. And it's a wonderful thing to realize that there is prosperity for the people of God. There's pleasures that they can enjoy and engage in. One of the great enemies for our souls tonight is discouragement. And I'm well aware of that in 2018. And let me tell you, this preacher gets discouraged too. And there maybe be times throughout this year when you feel, maybe you felt it in 2017, where you can't pray and you can't go to God. And maybe you, you can't even be bothered reading your Bible. And you think to yourself, well, what's the point? 
And maybe you've lost your zeal for Christ. And maybe you've lost your vision. Your, your vision and passion for souls. And I want to say tonight, what's the antidote for discouragement? And here it is. Say ye to the righteous that it shall be well with him. For they shall eat the fruit of their doings. There's pleasure and prosperity in the service of King Jesus. It's a wonderful thing to be a Christian. <coughs> That's the designation of the righteous. Now notice in closing the designation of the wicked. Think of the fact of the wicked. Say ye to the wicked. You see, let's think about the non-Christian for a moment. Think of that word wicked. When we think of that word wicked, we, we, we think of a drunkard. And a man may be a drunkard. We think of a, a woman who's an adulteress. And she may be. We, we think of a thief. We think of a murderer. We, we think of the terrorist. And, and rightly so. And men may be terrorists. And of course we could think to the fact of the many murders in our province that are still unsolved, including the murder of the ten Protestants in the Kingsmill Massacre. And we should remember the families of the Kingsmill Massacre in our prayers. And we should stand in solidarity with them. But you see, when we think of the wicked, we think of a drunkard, a harlot, a, a thief, a murderer, a, a terrorist. But I want to tell you tonight that God's description of the wicked, God's designation of the wicked, is more than just a drunkard, a harlot, a, a thief, a murderer, or, or a terrorist. Why? Because God's description or designation of the wicked is for everyone who hasn't repented of her sin, recognized their sinnership, and received Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. And you see, you could be a Presbyterian tonight. You could be a free Presbyterian. You could be a Baptist. You could be a, a Pentecostal. You could be a, 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 a Roman Catholic tonight. And, and you could, you could uh, attend to a church and still not live the life of a drunkard or a harlot or a thief or a murderer or a terrorist and still be designated in God's sight as wicked. Why? Because you haven't recognized your sin. Because you haven't repented of your sin. Because you haven't received Christ as Lord and Savior. In other words, you think you're not a bad sinner. Let me tell you a little story as we come to a conclusion. Way back in Charles Haddon Spurgeon's day when he was the preacher of the Metropolitan Tabernacle, there was a, a young man, he brought his mummy to speak to Spurgeon. And he says to Spurgeon, would you please speak to my mummy? Now, now, I want you to understand, sir, my mummy's not saved. She's not a Christian. She's a good woman. Now, she's not a bad woman. But she's not saved. Spurgeon didn't even answer the young man. He looked at the woman. And he said, I want to tell you, you're not a good woman. I want to tell you tonight, you're a bad woman. Wicked woman. And of course the wee woman standing there looking in astonishment at Spurgeon. He says, I want to tell you why you're not a good woman. I want to tell you why you're a bad, wicked woman. You have refused to recognize your sin. You have refused to bow the knee to Jesus Christ. 
You have refused to repent. And, and you've rejected the robe of Christ, perfect righteousness. And you want to appear before God in the robes of your self-righteousness with the works of your hands, offering a bloodless sacrifice. And that's a vile, wicked thing, woman. Do you know that woman broke down in tears? And after Spurgeon had finished, in an amazing way, God used him to lead that woman to the Lord. Here's why we're wicked in the sight of God. Romans 3 and 23, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Wicked without Christ in this world. Wicked without God and without hope. There's the fact of the wicked. Think of the focus of the wicked. Woe unto the wicked. See, without Christ, you could make a million pound a day and live in sin and die in sin and go to hell without Christ. You could scale the great heights of human achievement and have the applause of men. Look at him. Look at her. And yet, without Christ, what does it matter? It's woe. Think of the focus. It shall be ill with him. You see, it's bad to be without Christ. And you know what? It's worse to die without Christ. Jesus said, if you die in your sins, where I am, there you cannot be. And if you live without Christ, without God and without hope in the world, even though you make a million pound a day and have the applause of men, it'll be impossible for you to escape the damnation of hell. You see, the wicked is amongst the Christ rejectors in the world. What about you tonight? If you're here, if you're listening on the internet, I want to tell you in the authority of God's word, it says, for the reward of his hands shall be given him. This is the fruit of the wicked. In other words, you will pay dearly. The Bible says the way of the transgressor is hard. We could say tonight the life of a, the life of a drunkard, the, way, the life of a harlot, a thief, a terrorist, a murderer. It ought to be hard because sins pays wages. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. You'll pay dearly in your own soul. If you live in sin and mock Christ and die in sin, there's a day coming when you'll receive all the punishment that's due for that sin. And we not only believe tonight in the immortality of the soul, we also believe in the immortality of the body. And the very body in which wicked sinners have lived in and refused to recognize us and refused to repent, refused to receive Christ and lived life to the full in that very body is going to be raised again. And the day will come when God will put body and soul into hell for all eternity. The individual sinner will suffer the pains of hell for all eternity. Isn't the second death a horrible thing? Wouldn't it be a horrible thing to end up in hell? And yet here's the division that's presented. Two classes of people. Here's the designation that's proclaimed. There's a, a message to the righteous about well-being and about the fruit of their doings. And there's a message to the wicked. 
There's the fact of the wicked. There's the focus. It shall be ill with him. And there's the fruit. For the reward of his hands shall be given him. For all that he's done in the body, he'll receive full compensation at the hands of a holy God in justice. What about you tonight? I ask you this question in closing. In which class do you belong? What will it be with your soul in the day to come? Thank you for listening. Thank you for taking the time to come this evening.